the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. Why don't you stop drinking? Anybody can be a drunk. Anybody can be a non-drunk. It takes a special talent to be a drunk. It takes endurance. Endurance is more important than truth. Some people never go crazy. What truly horrible lives they must live. Author and poet Charles Bukowski wrote those words, and Mickey Rourke, famous actor, says those words in today's film, 1987's Barfly. That's right, kids. It's an all-new episode of Sloshed Cinema, hosted by yours truly, Sean Paul Mahoney. You know, we're that podcast that talks about movies, that talk about drinking, drugs, and getting sober. Hosted by me. Hello. That's right. So today's film is Barfly, directed by Barbe Schroeder, starring Rourke and uh, Faye Dunaway and Alice Krieg. And uh, here's a word we probably won't say again on this show. Frank Stallone is in this movie. Yes, Sylvester Stallone's brother, most famous in my mind for recording the absolutely stellar theme song to uh, Over the Top, that arm wrestling movie starring his brother. Um, So yeah, right off the bat as the credits roll, we know this is an alcoholic journey unlike no other. And um, quick confession, uh, this is one of those films that you guys talked about on Twitter saying, Sean, you have to watch Barfly, you have to watch Barfly. Um, and I wanted to, uh, I was only 14 when this film came out, so it was not on my immediate radar. I remember it, um, and I'll tell you why I remember it later on in the show, but, uh, I just had never seen it. And so, and plus I kind of, to be honest, had an aversion to Mickey Rourke, but who doesn't on some level? Um, so... When I was planning season two, I'm like, okay, after listening to you guys, I'm like, I have to do Barfly. So here it is. It's Barfly. Uh, When the movie starts, it takes us on a very late 80s tour of downtown Los Angeles's finer dive bars. These names kind of pop up of bars that, for the most part, I didn't recognize. And you guys know I lived in L.A. for 15 years from 1995 to 2010. And there's these different places called the Golden Horn and all these different bars that uh, didn't exist. Except for one. Oh, my God. I died. So the movie is just starting. They're going through this montage of bars. And they go across the Smog Cutter. The Smog Cutter, the legendary karaoke bar um, in Los Angeles, it actually inspired my play, The Singing Room, which was a play with karaoke. We used to always say about the smog cutter, uh, come for the karaoke, but stay for the Thai abuse, because it was owned by these Thai women who would like 
verbally berate you and bully you into buying drinks. So naturally, I loved every minute of it. And every so often, somebody random like Cameron Diaz would be there wasted singing. So very fun. Um, so I was like, yay, small cutter when the um, credits were going by. And so immediately from second one, we sort of know that this is going to be a film about dive bars and dive bar culture and the delightfully disgusting group of characters we meet in that atmosphere. Um, first of which is Mickey Rourke. Uh, Mickey Rourke plays Henry, and Henry is Bukowski's version of himself. Um, Bukowski, what I found it through uh, researching this movie, really wanted Sean Penn to do the movie. Um, Sean Penn and Bukowski had a long relationship. In fact, if you ever are bored out of your mind and want to read something completely trashy, uh, read um, My Life with My Sister, Madonna. <laughs> Always comes back to Madonna, kids. Um, uh, written by uh, Christopher Ciccone. Um, and he talks about how when Sean and Madonna were married, Bukowski, like, and William Burroughs, too, at different points, like, were, was living on their couch. Like, this hot, alcoholic mess of Bukowski, like, lived on their couch. And Madonna didn't love that. And if um, real-life Bukowski is anything like Henry, uh, we can see why he wouldn't be our ideal house guest. So we meet him, and right off the bat, I gotta tell ya, Mickey Rourke's portrayal is gonna be polarizing um it's this goofy loopy sing-songy he does this crazy ass crab walk and cadence like it's kind of like if you took the crab from little mermaid and mixed him with a homeless man and threw in a little bit of Jack Nicholson, um, that's what you'd end up with. Oh, and kind of like um, late career over-the-top Brando. Like, you threw that in um, a big pot and mixed it around. That would be Mickey Works' performance. Okay, so why I said I remembered the movie as a kid, um, I was obsessed. I've always been obsessed with films, hence why this podcast exists. And I used to watch uh, Siskel and Ebert religiously. And we've talked about Roger Ebert tons on this show. I love the guy. Not only um, was he a sober alcoholic and a real inspiration in the la latter half of his life, but I think like he really informed the way that we discuss films and performances in films and the way films are made. And um, I remember watching their review of this, you guys, in 1987. And way before The View and way before Real Housewives, if you wanted to watch two people really go at it and fight with each other, Siskel and Ebert was the best seat in the house. And they had a massive disagreement about uh, Mickey Rourke's performance in this movie. Gene Siskel ripped it to shreds and basically thought it was the worst thing he'd ever seen in his life. And he was not a big fan of the film either. Ebert, on the other hand, 
given his background and that he was a Chicago barfly himself at one point in time, um, really liked the movie and liked Rourke's performance. And he actually thought it resembled good era Brando. Uh, and I looked for it so I could post a clip, but I couldn't find it anywhere. You know, Disney owns the rights to those old shows, so they're, like, essentially under lock and key. But um, if you find it somewhere, uh, tweet it to me, at Sean Paul Mahoney on Twitter, um, because it's a great clip, and it's a classic fight. I mean, short of punching each other in the face, they seriously go at it on this, and it's really awesome to watch. Um, and, yeah, watching... Like, the first five minutes of this guy and Mickey Rourke, you're like, oh, this is going to be a lot. This is going to be a lot to handle for, I think it's like an 87-minute film. Um, again, I've said this before. Love that about the 80s. Telling the story in 90 minutes or less. Boom. Um, and Barfly does that. Again, it's a seedy enough story and seedy enough locale you wouldn't want to spend three hours with these people you'd probably like jump in front of a train um suffice to say so we meet henry and right away henry is in his local dive bar he's scamming for free drinks and within seconds has started a fight with the aforementioned frank stallone who is a bartender at his uh favorite watering hole and he goes out back, and it's a huge fistfight, and essentially gets the shit kicked out of him. And we're led to believe that this happens pretty regularly. And a guy who I think is the owner of the bar um, basically tells Henry, like, look, dude, you gotta stop coming in here and starting shit. Um, one of these days, Frank Stallone's character is really gonna kill you. You know, you're not Eddie. Is his character's name. And he's going to kill you. Um, so, kind of unflapped, though. And Henry, we get off the bat. Henry's MO is being shit-faced all of the time, living in a crappy, like, room for rent, roach-infested, kind of downtown L.A. shithole. Ooh, interesting story about that. One of the apartments that they use, the... Uh, exterior shots when they did a screening of the film um uh charles bukowski was watching it and said oh my god i used to live in that building and it was a flea bag room for rent kind of place that they had a lot of in downtown la in that era funny story a guy i was actually attracted to back in the day uh, when i was drinking uh, like, his goal was to drink like Bukowski and live in downtown L.A. So, here's hoping he did not achieve that goal. Or whatever. Anyway, um, so, this is what we know about Henry right off the bat. And um, he, I would say he has friends, but not really. It's all people who are doing the same thing. You know, there's a lot of these craggy, gross... Um, questionably moral people who are floating in Henry's universe. Who are the people you meet at dive bars? Um, I had a dive bar that I loved back in Los Angeles. I mean, I had several. Um, but I had one in particular that I was a, a regular at. 
And it was always like walk of shame when you were like asked to leave your local dive bar. You knew you were kind of like way out of bounds. And that happened to me a few times. Um, so that, those are proud moments. Uh, so anyway, this is his life. This is his MO. And, um, and yet, given the utter loopiness and the goofiness of Rourke's portrayal, and then the other characters that are in there, it's not inherently depressing right off the bat. I guess maybe for, like, normies, you'd be seriously grossed out by the movie. It almost, you guys, though, has, like, a John Waters-esque quality to it. Because everybody is so snarled and so gross that it's kind of cartoony, but not really. Um, it is directed by Barbe Schroeder, a director who did a bunch of stuff in the uh, 90s that you probably saw, like uh, Reversal of Fortune and Single White Female and uh, Murder by Numbers. If you've never seen Murder by Numbers with Sandra Bullock and you want to see a dramatic scene with Sandra Bullock and a red-assed baboon, um, please go out and get yourself Murder by Numbers. Otherwise, it's not a very good film. Anyway, this was kind of out of uh, the realm for him. And he was also not a first choice as a director, too. Uh, when Penn was attached to the project, he really wanted Dennis Hopper to do it. So but that didn't work out. However, I think Schroeder was turned out to be a good choice. He has a take on this that's needed. It is a little uh, whimsical. That's a weird word to use for this movie, but it kind of is. I mean, as whimsical as a movie about a guy drinking his face off and shitty dive bars can possibly be. Um, Henry, for the first part of the film, is by himself, and then later meets the delightful Wanda sitting at the end of the bar. Um, Wanda has a great opening line. Henry sort of like crab walks over there like he does. It's always like he's walking like his pants are going to fall down or like he has a load back there or something. But like, it's his thing. And so he does his little walk over there to kind of like hit on her. And he's at a bar that's not like his normal bar because he had been kicked out. And um, so he goes and sits next to her. And Wanda says, the first thing out of her mouth is, I can't stand people. I hate them. And then she says to him, do you hate them? To which he replies, no, but I'm happier when they're not around. And that's just so quintessentially alcoholic. I remember thinking that a lot at the end of my drinking, like, oh my God, I fucking hate people. I was like an alcoholic and waiting tables. So like, if that doesn't make you hate humanity, then I don't know what the hell does. So um, needless to say, I identify with Wanda right off. She's a tough nut to crack. She's sort of sad, but more than that, she looks fucking nuts. Um, so wait, I love Faye Dunaway, of course, like any gay man on the planet. I love Mommy Dearest. I love Network. Um, Bonnie and Clyde, she's amazing. Um, and so when I lived in West Hollywood in the 90s, Faye Dunaway lived in our neighborhood. And so 
uh, like you'd randomly see her out there yelling at the guys like who were working on her house and of course it's like a fan a fan of mommy dearest and celebrities being crazy i like ate every minute of it up and at one point faye dunaway oh she had these really amazing roses which of course if you see mommy dearest it totally reminds you of mommy dearest and that dramatic scene where joan crawford is cutting out the roses like a lunatic and so Faye Dunaway had, like, apparently people had been picking those roses because they knew that Faye Dunaway had lived there. And, um, P.S., this is, like, 1997. This is kind of at the point where people were not working with Faye Dunaway because she's notorious for being difficult. Um, the nickname was Faye Dunn My Way for a long time. So she wasn't working so much in this era. However, for people like me and old movie people, she still held, um... A panache and uh she's kind of legendary so people were picking her roses and so she put out a sign and it was like uh you know please stop picking my roses and then like people were taking the sign too and because she signed it like Faye and um and so then the last version of the sign was you know please stop picking the roses and also please don't take the sign love Faye um I think I was drunk one night and really wanted to get my friends to go take the sign, but I didn't, um, in a rare moment of good judgment in the late nineties, uh, probably the last time that happened. Um, anyway, totally derailed on that story, but I just felt like sharing that with you. So thanks for letting me share my fade on away story. Um, suffice to say, Wanda is equally as miserable as Henry, and how she supports her drinking is that she has a relationship with an older man who kind of just pays for her to get loaded um, in exchange for her company. And that's kind of it, as far as we know. Uh, Wanda and Henry, before we know it, quickly, um, since they're on the same trajectory, they move in with one another. And, um, it, you know... They are uh, perfect for each other, as sad as that sounds. It's not like, you guys, when we watched um, Leaving Las Vegas. I think in Leaving Las Vegas, the lead really knows, like, this is it. It's not sustainable. Um, I'm going to play it out. And he's also with a person who's not an alcoholic. The difference with Henry and Wanda is... They're such alcoholics and they're so delusional that they don't care. <laughs> and they're not trying to drink themselves to death. This is just what they do. I guess if that happened, then um, that's how it would roll. But they're kind of happy wallowing in the cesspool that is downtown LA dive bars. There is an incredible article online, speaking of Ebert, which we were a few minutes ago, about um, he was interviewing Bukowski right before this movie came out. And Bukowski had a real life Wanda who drank with him. And, you know, the start of the interview is the two of them admitting to Ebert, like, that they've been wasted for several days and they stop and then they're wasted again. And, um, you know, just like we do. Like, it's just like a never-ending cycle. Um, Bukowski, to his credit, uh, <laughs> or whatever, kind of sustainably lived this way for a long time. And it is definitely what it is. Um, so, 
a side plot after their little romance, which is crazy, by the way. They're both hot messes. Um, Faye Dunaway, like, is having health problems at one point. They're both trying to get jobs and are completely unemployable. I mean, who wants to hire either one of these people? Um, and, um, but there is a, a glimmer of something good happening. And that would be, uh, Henry is a writer like Bukowski, you know, write what you know. So write writers. And, um, and, uh, he had apparently sent off something to a literary magazine and throughout the film, we see these people kind of like spying on him and we're like, what's their deal? And what's going on? And one of them is a very attractive woman played by Alice Krieg. Okay, if you're Star Trek nerds or even casual Star Trek fans like myself, you will recognize Alice Krieg as the Borg Queen. Yes. So this film, not only do you get Bukowski... And not only do you get Frank Stallone, but you get the Borg Queen. I know you're running out to rent this right now. Um, and uh, so the Borg Queen, we're just going to call her that for right now, by the way. Um, she keeps showing up. She's stunningly beautiful, by the way, in the um, late 80s. She keeps showing up and she's way out of place in downtown LA. She's gorgeous. She, um, she wants... Uh, to pay Henry for a story that he set in um, after a series of starts and stops and a bunch of drama. He is able to uh, get money from her. And of course, that goes right back into drinking. Um, you know, it's interesting. As we've been on this cinematic journey uh, through films about alcoholism with one another, uh, we see a lot of the um, characters who cannot get it together, but try, um, and then eventually do. Characters who cannot get it together and then eventually die. Um, and then there's rare films where the characters can't get it together and they don't give a fuck. Like the first film that we talked about, um, I think that's very much the case with George and Martha. Like, I think we're left thinking these two are not getting well anytime soon. And you kind of get that feeling. Um, the film, without giving much away, uh, ends as it began. It ends with um, Henry being in a fucking fistfight. Again, uh, with Frank Stallone. And... Um, and uh, back with Wanda, who also gets in a bar brawl, a great bar brawl. I won't give any of that away for sure, so you can watch that. I looked for a YouTube clip of that because it would be an amazing gif, gif, whatever, however you say it. Um, but I couldn't find one. Uh, so, you know, the interesting thing about the movie is that it, uh, it's not uplifting at all. Um, it's not feel goody. It's, it doesn't have a, a message. I think what it does is it's presenting the idea of alcoholics and the monotony of it. You know, it was weird. I, when I finished watching the movie, I had, um, several days where I kept thinking about it, 
which I think is always a good sign with a film. You know, when you walk away from it and you go, what the hell was that about? And um, I felt that with this movie. I had a lot of feelings. My gut reaction at first was like, ugh, I hated it. I hate Mickey Rourke's performance. I hate that there's nothing redeeming about these people. I hate that it kind of is non-linear and doesn't really go anywhere. But then as I marinated on it, it's like, well, wait a minute. It actually has a lot of Bukowski's words and poetry and rhythms, which is great and is interesting as a script. Um, it intentionally or unintentionally captures the insanity of uh, alcoholics and dive bar culture. And there's the desperation. But then there's also the, the giddy delusion that lives inside of that desperation, that if you're in it, it doesn't seem that bad, even though it's terrible and shitty, it's not that bad to you. So our our paradise is what we make it. And for Henry and Wanda, uh, this like destitute crap fest of downtown LA dive bars, that's their paradise. And um, you get that in real life, uh, Bukowski felt very much the same way. So it's a provocative film for being nearly 30 years old. And uh, I thought a lot about it, and it stayed on my mind, and there was parts that I continued to laugh at and go, what the heck was that? So in that sense, I think it's really successful. As far as Rourke's performance goes, hmm, I'm a little bit Siskel and a little bit Ebert. And a little bit rock and roll. Um, I don't know if I loved it. Do I think it's effective? Yeah, I do. I do. He's a nut job, as a lot of us were. Um, and he conveys that perfectly. And then also, if you go and listen to interviews or watch YouTube videos with Bukowski, he was clearly trying to copy Bukowski's speech patterns. And I think he does a pretty good job. Um, he's at least fully committed. Uh, Faye Dunaway is terrific. Um, it's a different role for her. It's not a bitch. It's not um, in control. It's sort of, let's just face it, it's sad and crazy. I mean, like legitimately crazy. And uh, you can tell she... It's a faded glamour with her, and um, it's effective, I think. So um, the rest of the performances are great, even that of Frank Stallone, who I've been making fun of for the last 30 minutes. Um, yeah, so the direction is good. Like I said, it's surprisingly, um, let's say, upbeat for such a grimy movie. Please check it out and let me know what you think or if you've seen it um, recently or love it. Uh, tweet me at Sean Paul Mahoney on Twitter or email me at sloshedcinemapod at gmail.com. So here on our little show, we hand out ratings to films. So I'm going to give Barfly... Three out of five stars. I think it's worth seeing. I think it um, captures the cult culture perfectly. And the performances are a lot of fun. And it's unlike any other movie about alcoholism, 
that I've stumbled across thus far. So kudos to Barbe Schroeder and the rest of the group involved. So watch it and tell me what you think. Uh, just an FYI, I always, even there, if they're movies that I've seen before, I always watch them fresh before uh, you and I talk, um, just so I can have like an honest, current reflection on it. So this I watched uh, very recently, and I'm happy to uh, yammer about it with you. Okay, so here on Ye Old Program, we always use the last few minutes of the show to talk about um, alcoholism and addiction currently in pop culture and in the headlines. Oh boy, oh boy, uh, the universe dealt me a good one yesterday as I was going through my Twitter feed and saw about 15 different people whom I love um, tweeting about this Shia LaBeouf story. This Shia LaBeouf story, in case you don't know, is uh, centers around him and his problem with drinking and his insane behavior over the last few years. And, you know, those of us who have been sober and watched him the last several years, even without having all the information, don't we always just go, oh, they're probably just an alcoholic or they're just a drug addict, you know? And not just, but it does explain it, you know? And it's very common. And, um... A big deal, you know, and especially former child stars and Disney stars. Hello, welcome to the club, Shia LaBeouf. So at 30 years old um, and with less than a year sober, he's got a big movie coming out called American Honey, and it was a low-budget film, and he's getting great reviews for it. Uh, specifically, what's being tweeted and forwarded is a article in Variety, and I will definitely post a link to that here on SoundCloud. Um, it's worth the read if you're sober, you guys. Uh, your heart goes out to the guy, and and you we've all been there. And uh, how hard it must be, you know, to once have been talented and then through a series of really bad mistakes. Um, he's kind of trying to rebuild his career. Uh and, and yet, you know, he doesn't really identify as an addict or an alcoholic, and he does say he goes to meetings, but, you know, he's still newly sober. Look, this gig is rough, and um, it's rough for normal people, and I can't imagine how hard it is for someone of his age and growing up the way that he did. Um, he also talks about being around drugs and alcohol at a really early age and feeling at, like an outsider, even though he was around other kid actors. So it's all very identifiable. Um, he also says, you know, really interesting thing that I never kind of heard verbalized is that he was saying, you know, there's a double standard when it comes to women who publicly bottom out like he did, you know, like your Lindsay Lohans, etc. Um, you know, that women require grace for longevity and that men don't. And you can be, he even says Mickey Rourke, which brings it full circle. And, and so like, you know, that guys get more of a free pass to be hot messes in public than women do. Um, which is real interesting. It's a real big fat double standard. Uh, yeah, so that's a provocative thing that you can talk to me about via email or on 
uh, Twitter, or visit my website, shawnalogs.com, because I have a piece that I'm publishing about this very show, so that'll be up in the next day. Um, and you can talk to me there, too. Uh, yeah, so check out this Shia LaBeouf piece, because the thing, my takeaway from it was, you know, this disease is the same. It's the same whether you're working in Hollywood or working in Pittsburgh, whether you're in movies or you're in jail. And um, and the consequences are the same, unfortunately, you know. And for somebody like him, who, because of, like, some of his actions, became kind of a joke, the road back is tough, and it's tough for all of us. So the big thing is, is that, um, you know, there's help. There's help out there. Um, I recently have felt that a lot in my own sobriety is watching people struggle who, um, you know, are doing it alone and it's very rough. Uh, so yeah, so let's all be grateful, um, for the support that we have. And if we don't have support, please reach out. And that's a perfect way and time for me to end this program. Thanks so much for tuning in to Sloshed Cinema. Next week, we have a very special jazz episode. Bye-bye. Yes, there's so many films about alcoholic addict jazz musicians. I decided to devote an entire show to them. And don't you know it, the three movies that I picked for this show um, are all from the last year. Uh, Lady Day, starring the brilliant Otter McDonald, uh, Miles Ahead, starring John Cheadle, and uh, Born to be Blue, starring Ethan Hawke. We'll talk all three of those movies and our obsession with uh, musicians and drugs and alcohol on film all next week on a brand new episode. Until then, remember, even if you're in the dark by yourself watching a movie, you are never alone. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy.